and welcome to the All Walks of Art podcast, a show for creatives and artists from all walks of life. If you stumbled on this podcast, stick around, listen, and become a regular. I would ask you to find a comfy chair, pour your favorite beverage, and enjoy the show. On today's episode, I introduce Paul to a Hell or High Mango, a new and refreshing ale brewed with real mangoes and packed with floral and tropical notes. I don't expect him to like it, but I think he won't hate it. Don't know. We will find out. At 4.9% alcohol by volume and just 17 international bitterness units, this beer is easy to drink, and I know the folks at 21st Amendment Brewery didn't make a beer I'll find intolerable. Let's just see what Paul thinks, though. I'm sure he'll spit it out and throw it all over the studio. (laughs) So, uh, the main topic of the show is artist interpretations, specifically cover songs, master copies, and fine art a photo of a place versus the real place, and maybe even some forgeries. Yeah, we just may go there. So without any further delay, let me welcome back to the show, in studio, my brother from another mother, the sultan of transgression, the dab hand of heavy metal, the dark lord of pickles, and my Sunday drinking compadre, Paul Ramey. What's up, Mike? (laughs) It's good to have you back. So, hey, it's good to be back. So, there's a lot to unpack here. You said something, 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 something (laughs) made with real mangoes. It is. So, what's a fake mango? It's a mango that's made out of plastic. Oh, okay. Like, you know, waxy, put them on your table. Do they make beer with those? Oh, hell no. I hope not. Budweiser probably does. uh, (laughs) Well, they're winning our sponsorship. I don't fucking care about Budweiser. No. What if they bought this place and then distribute it? Would you they, they will not. This is a cool can. It is Are we going to cool drink can. this off the bat? Yeah. Get yeah. this out of the way. Yeah, this I wanna, cold. Yeah, because everybody, you know, clearly everybody drinks at home too. Like Seasonal we release. That kind of sounds like me, but for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Crack that thing open. All right. Let's see what it is. I've already, I pre-gamed on one. Oh, sure so. you have. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, uh, it's a, I've been to the brewery out there. It's a really nice brewery. And this all this hell or high water series that they make started off with uh, watermelon, and the hell or high watermelon is actually pretty good too. Hell or high watermelon that yeah. just comes off the tongue, tongue good. It does, it does. Um, I love this can. I do too. Their their artwork is just fantastic. I I should know who does the art. You should, but I because that's important. I'm going to look it up after the show. But a lot um, more people are looking at this right now than they are looking at. Oh yeah other thing <laughs> yeah so uh for those of you not familiar the can is uh it's orange and green teal kind of color uh it's uh 21st amendment brewery is based in uh, san leandro california which is by the by the bay and you've Francisco. been there haven't you i have yeah they have they have a, a smaller brew pub that's on i think it's second street it's close to at&t park the baseball field um great great place great people Love them all out there. Uh, but this one on the can, you got uh, Lady Liberty sitting on the Golden Gate Bridge. That's not um, That's not correct. Why that's is that? some artist, artist uh, interpretation there, some artist liberty. <laughs> right, Cause, right. Because they're that's good. You on the opposite that. side of the country. <laughs> but it's cool. Her little crown is hanging on one of the uh, towers. Um, the, the, the tablet she holds in her hands down in the water. Oh, uh, I didn't and know. There's, a, there's a boat carrying mangoes. And she's holding a mango in her left hand. Mm, so it's she's just chilling. Yeah, she's chilling. Where's her crown? Oh, it's hanging oh. on the tower. Oh, I see it now. Okay. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's cool. I like that. The, uh, it's, like I say, it's 4.9%, I think. Down the hatch. I don't like so. how it smells already. 
So he's not sure. It's easy to drink. I mean, I'm surprised. Oh, he's going back for a second drink. What do you think? If that was ice cold, yeah. all the, I drink, I could drink this. Oh, you think it's too warm? I no, like I'm it. just saying. I can tell just from being in the glass already. It's so uh, yeah. I like it warmed up so you can taste it a little bit. You know, anything below thirty-five degrees is just too cold. Really, I do not hate that. Yeah, it's it's good. I figured you'd like it. That's right on par with Doom Pedal. Yeah, I figured it would be. It's around bitterness units and stuff. I think there's enough uh, sourness and bitterness from the mango to kind of compensate. You for can me. hit. It. You can feel that. Yeah. You can. Yeah. It, there's. It's not overpowering. Ah. Mm. I don't hate that. Yeah. So. You can drink the rest of it. <laughs> figured. Figured. So uh, hopefully everybody's got a a drink in their hand and sitting down and enjoying the show. Unless you're driving. Don't do not do that. Unless, well, yeah, I guess it could be non-alcoholic. But, um, What's the point in that? Well, because if you're driving. Who's going to drive? In not, oh, but just any kind of non-alcoholic. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean, yeah, like yeah. an O'Doul's or something. No, no, I don't. I don't condone drinking and driving. I don't want, want people to get hurt or hurt others. All right, let's cover. What are we going to talk about today, Mike? Well, I said it in the beginning, Paul. Did well, you listen? You said, but that don't. That's kind of broad. Yeah. Speaking of broad, mm. <laughs> old lady liberty. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk about cover tunes first, because right. I, I went through my my iTunes library, and I. I actually remembered a few songs I didn't realize that were done as covers I bought a long time ago. But I want to hear, before I get into some notable covers that I like, I would like to hear what you think about the whole concept of doing a cover, like any band doing a cover of somebody else, and how it relates to artist interpretation. I love it. I mean, I think it's cool, especially if there's two schools, you do it uh, as as authentically as you can. Um, like, say, the uh, cover of uh, War Pigs that's on uh, Faith No More's um, uh, The Real Thing record, the one that's got uh, Fallen to Pieces and Epic on it. Oh, they, yeah. they do a cover of uh, I didn't know that. War Pigs. And it's, it's spot on, and it's awesome. And that's great. Or then you think of, uh, like, Typo's cover of uh, Black Sabbath, mm -hmm. um, uh, Black Sabbath, where they slowed it down and made it more evil and they even changed the lyrics, which is something I don't normally like, but it was cool. They did it from from the uh, other perspective. Mm -hmm. um, it was kind of cool. So I like it. If it's done, it's done well. Uh, recently, you know, Corn did The Devil Went Down to Georgia, and that is an abomination mm -hmm. that should be wiped off the face of the earth. <laughs> I don't like it. But, I, didn't, I didn't either. But uh, so a lot of people do, so whatever. You know, like, yeah. like we say, it's all up to interpretation. I heard Nickelback did one. Of the devil went down Georgia, and I have heard that it. it's stellar. And so, the devil won that one, didn't no, it? No, I heard it's great. <laughs> I heard it's really good, honestly. I mean, it's that this wasn't planned to uh, bring that in, but um, sure. But then I think of you think of some of these iconic songs like uh, um, All Along the Watchtower, Bob Dylan. Yeah, no one associates that with Bob Dylan, you associate that with Jimi Hendrix, the right. Jimi Hendrix song. Um, uh, like uh, the Green Man Lishi with the Two Prong Crown by um, Judas Priest. Mm -hmm. You don't associate that with Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, you associate yeah, it with yeah, Judas Priest. Hey Joe, that's another one. I cannot remember the original artist that did yeah. it, but I didn't know that was a cover until about four years ago when Billy Sheehan told me of the clinic. That's a cover, but you associate that's yeah. Jimi Hendrix. So yeah. 
I think that's cool too. Um, it's neat to, when you find that out and you go back and, and listen to some of them and see how the artists interpreted it or how it went. Uh, one I was listening to last night was um, uh, Feels Like Rain. You familiar with that song? Buddy Guy? Yeah. That's a yeah. John Hyatt song. John Is Hyatt it? wrote that and he did a version of it many years before Buddy Guy did and it's great and it's it's kind of similar but John Hyatt's kind of got his own own timber and his own cadence and it's it's interesting and a good song's a good song usually so yeah and that's a good example one where it it uh you got two different guys and sort of similar styles but different enough that um it's still a great song just like uh nothing compares to you that's another real good example a good song is a good song uh, I always love the Sinead O'Connor version. Um, and then Chris Cornell's acoustic version is one of my favorite songs ever. And I love Prince. So, um, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of neat. It's, it's kind of, it, it's neat that music is, a, is a, uh, a medium where you can do that kind of stuff with it. You can't really, it's kind of hard to do that. I think in visual art, you, you don't really do. You don't really paint your version of somebody else's painting, I don't think. So. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get into that a little later on the painting side of things. So if you, if you're listening to the show and you're like, oh, damn, they're going to be talking about music again. <laughs> we are going to talk about paintings and things like that as well, because um, this is the all walks of art, not just the walk of art or whatever it would be. I don't know. It's it's art, right? So footstep, it the is. footstep of art. Yeah, it's uh, it's all those things. I was just looking up Hey Joe, and I I had what I needed to have, but I'm not really sure if I can prove it. it looks like Billy Roberts uh, registered the copyright for Hey Joe, but uh, I'd know the name of the band if he said it because Billy talked about it, and yeah. the baseline's different. He was talking about how interesting the baseline is on the yeah, original yeah, version. Yeah, the uh, in interestingly enough listed. As the songwriter, it's listed in uh, public domain, hmm. as if anybody can use it. It's, well, it's old enough. I kind of want to play it now, yeah. but <laughs> if uh, yeah, somebody would get on my case. Well, Typo did a version of it, and it's pretty cool. But it was uh, it was Hey Pete, where you going with that axe in your hand? But oh, really? Yeah, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> it is cool. Um, some of the ones that I was thinking of, they're they're kind of along the same lines because we like we like the same kind of music, but. Uh, sale. That's oh, a, a big yeah. pop song by Devil Driver. Yeah. Uh, well, not by Devil Driver, but by the other guys. Uh, it's on the Winter Kills album, uh, 2013. Yeah, I love their version. Um, I like the original version too. I and, do too. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly has a version of it as well. Really? Yep. Didn't know that. It's really cool. Uh, Dio is often covered. A lot of bands cover Dio. Uh, matter of fact, I got a couple of them here in my list. But Kill, Kill Switch Kill, jumps out. Yeah, exactly. I was getting ready to mention 2007, As Daylight Dies, that album. Uh, they did Holy Diver. Awesome video. Yeah. Awesome, awesome uh, example of a way where you, you stay true to the the song, yet stay true to your own band and yeah. do your own thing with it. I mean, that's yeah. it It really come together with them. And I think that uh, uh, Five Finger Death Punch's uh, version of... Um, of um, not House of the Rising Sun. That's terrible. Um, it's not. I don't like it. You know, I, I try not to do that. I try not to. Be, I don't like it. It's terrible to me. Um, uh, but what song? Um, Bad Company. Yeah, I think yeah, that. I think yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, I they're actually that was good, good at that. Yeah. Um, Shine Down is another one that 
I don't really care too much for uh, oh, the, the band from Jacksonville that they did, uh, they covered, uh, Simple Man. Oh, Skinner? You're not a big Skinner fan? I, I'm not a oh huge Skinner God, fan. Oh, my God, I love Skinner. No. So progressive. <laughs> so progressive, and people don't really notice it. Yeah. It's a, you listen, I mean, it's listen okay. to that smell. I want yeah, you when I leave, yeah. you listen to that, really listen to all, all the different guitar parts and the bass line and then the piano in the background yeah. and the way the drummer's playing. I mean, it's like, that's like some Queens Reichian kind of it, it musicianship is. I, it going is. on there. And it just, I think it gets overlooked, the, yeah, the, the impact yeah. they have because it's, you well, know. Well, the whole Freebird thing just kind of burned me out. Well, it's like can, Aerosmith, you, you know, right. you just kind of, you hear something too or much. Or Queen with Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, exactly. It's like there's so much more. Exactly. Um, but yeah, another another good good tune, I. I love that song. Oh, um, yeah. You know, uh, Tour did that. On the Lay of Thrym album back in 2011. Really? Yeah, oh, it's I, I have fantastic. To hear that. Um, they they are amazing. They've did they've done quite a few covers actually in some of their albums. Uh, usually usually a two. They've done some uh, Iron Maiden stuff too, which is cool. Uh, Stargazer. They did Stargazer, hmm. which is a really cool one because it you know just drums for me. But here's one you'll like, Mr. Crowley. 2006, Tim Ripper Owens oh, yeah. and Momstein did it on the Flying High again. Norrell's greatest tribute to Ozzy. Osbourne. Yeah, it's in the car right now. It's on my. It's uh, I, that's one of my favorite covers of it all is. time. It is. It's mine too. It's it's one of them cool really things. good cover. I think on that on uh, kind of on those same sessions because mm -hmm. uh, Momstein and uh, Ripper both were on a lot, and Billy and um, Portnoy were on a lot of different uh, yeah. these cover cover um, CDs that were was kind of big in the, in the mid to late 90s. Mm -hmm. And there's a version of Dream On with Ingve playing and Dio singing it. And it's, really? it's a, one of my favorite covers as well. Didn't hear that. I don't I've know who else one. is on that that track offhand, but Dio sings it. And I mean, he just slays it. That is cool. Sign by Tesla. Signs. Sign. Yeah. Which is it? Signs. Signs. I is think. it? I like, I like Tesla's version much better. Who, who did that originally? I don't remember. Oh. Uh, it was a 60s, 70s era yeah. band. Um, but they're known for that. It's like you don't even think about that other band. And, and yeah. that's kind of what's interesting that that as an artist, it's not always about writing. It's about finding a creative way to take something that already exists mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, making a mark on it that is notable and, and noteworthy. So, One, since you brought that up, and I, we can't really talk about covers without actually mentioning um, Quiet Riot. Uh, Frankie Benali passed away August mm -hmm. this year. Um, drummer from Quiet Riot. But they took a song, and I have to kind of giggle because every time I saw it on like uh, Where Are They Now or something like that, I, I can't remember what I was watching. Um, they always say, you know, come on, Frankie, go in there and play this drum part or whatever, and you know, you can fuck that up in a hurry or whatever. <laughs> and he, he, uh, he actually played it right the first time because I guess the band didn't really want to do Come On, Feel the Noise, uh, an old Slade uh, song, but his voice actually fits really well with Slade. Um, and they're, they're almost identical. Well, and then they did uh, what Mama, we're all crazy now. Yeah, like that yeah. Slade song too. It is, it is. Yeah, so it, it was kind of cool to to go back and listen. I mean, we're talking a decade difference on "Come On, Feel the Noise" because it was uh, originally 1973 from Slade and 1983 from. Uh, Quiet Riot. And here you got a band, two of the three songs that they're known for are Slade covers. Exactly. 
Yeah, it's, yeah. So are they a cover band or? Are they, <laughs> I would say not. There's, you know, they're an but 80s, you know, they 80s do, rock band. if you do your own thing with it, <clears throat> and I mean, I think they did enough of their own thing with it and had their own kind of. Oh yeah, time, had that yeah. 80s feel. I think. That, yeah, definitely. I gotta, I gotta mention one more. I know I have a kind of a list here compared to what you were saying, and people may be getting tired of hearing names dropped, but bullet, bullet for my Valentine, uh, did a, a cover of Metallica's Sanitarium. Which, you know, welcome home. That one. Right. Um, it's really good. Is it? Yeah. I'll I, check it out. Vocals aren't my favorite on it. I still, it's hard to beat James's gut sound. Especially back then. Yeah. Um, I mean, he don't even sound like that now. So. No. Uh, but he, he just got, you know, it, it and Bullet sounds, uh, I can't think of the name of the singer from Bullet. Matt? I don't know. I'm not, I can't not a super fan, but. Um, but yeah, it's it's on their deluxe version of uh, the Poison album. I have to hunt that up. So it's it's actually pretty. Primus good. does a good version of the thing that should not be. On oh, one really? Of their albums. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Wow. Since it, we're talking about Metallica, they they did obviously Garage Days mm-hmm. or Garage Inc. or whatever the fuck it was. They're all pretty. good. Oh yeah, and that new. Well, that's a good uh, thing because they did. Uh, they introduced me to Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Yeah. With Lover Man yeah. on that uh, uh, on the on the. Not the latest one, but the one before that, and uh, uh, there was another song they did um, on the newest on the newest album. They had some covers at the end, and one of them was "When a Blind Man Cries," yeah, by Deep Purple, which is like my second favorite Deep Purple song. Yeah. And I mean, they kill it. So, I I think it's awesome, at least music wise, uh, especially when bands like that of that stature will do some of those songs to get um, it gets people to look at this band. It's oh, like, yeah. well, who did that? Yeah. And, uh, Metallica's been doing that their whole career with yeah. Diamond Head and and uh, Bread Fan, some of these other yeah, some of these other bands. And you know when you when you see them live, that's that's almost always a crowd favorite type yeah. thing. You know, they just oh my god, they're playing that song. You yeah. know, and it's, you know, well, Am I Evil was uh, that's a Metallica song now. Yeah, you know? yeah, it, it's just fun. I mean, I know we, I know we dropped a lot of uh, rock and metal type of bands here, and I know there's others that I. I I didn't bring any examples of others. Well, you plus me, um, the the group with uh, Dallas Green and and Pink, mm-hmm. they do a version of No Ordinary Love by uh, Sade, and that's one of my favorite songs oh, yeah. of all time. It's just piano and vocals pretty much. And yeah. So, I mean, it's not just a rock thing. I no, mean, it's not. So it's cool. Yeah. Um, going back and, and thinking about all of these, you know, they all kind of have their own twist. I heard Ozzy say one time on on one of his shows it might have been the, the reality show where they were like building a band or something out of normal people or whatever i don't remember it's been so long um but i remember sharon and ozzy looking at one of the contestants and he brought in his own version of one of ozzy's tunes and that floored him you know he was like it's still a cover it's obviously a cover because it was the, the melodies are all there right. the, the lyrics was the same um, but he really put his own style on it. You mentioned Kill Switch for this too. Yeah, I think it's really important. I don't, maybe not important. I don't want to use that word, but I think it's pretty cool when a band still stays true, and their intention on making the music is this is a great song. What would it sound like if we did it? Right. You know, and that's kind of cool. There's you know? a really good version of Changes on YouTube that this soul singer does and it's like totally different by really? Black Sabbath. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, he just belts it. You can just feel, hear the pain in it. 
Yeah. So didn't didn't him and his daughter do that too? They did that, and then um, um, Zach, uh, he's got this group Zach Sabbath where he does nothing but Sabbath yeah. covers, and yep. uh, they've been playing some of those on XM, and it's real good. His version of Snowblind is stellar. That's really? one of my favorite Sabbath songs, and it's kind of slowed down and yeah. it's detuned and it's like really heavy. But yeah. Without without trying too hard, so that's the thing too. I think if, if as, at least with cover tunes, and if you're gonna, you're either gonna, hey, we're gonna do the best we can just to to be faithful to the original. Okay, that's fine. At the same time, if you're gonna do your own thing with it, you can't try too hard mm-hmm. to make it different. You got to kind of let it. You just gotta let how you do it come out instead of being like, all right, we're gonna be real calculated and we're going yeah. to we're going to do it in this style and we're going to do this and that. And then it's just, I don't think that works. Your band and, and your voice and the way you play has its own way of doing it. And if you're going to let that out then just let that happen, don't be too calculated about it. And I think most of the cover tunes that we've talked about, that's kind of what happened. I mean, yeah. You know? Yeah. It, this is actually kind of a difficult thing, but as a musician, I think all of us kind of get our start copying somebody else. Right. You know, I, you know, we can say covers and copies and however you want to say it, but um, when you sit down for the first time, you're trying to sound like somebody else. Yeah. And that's how we learn. You know, most people aren't just going to pick up a music book and say, okay, I don't know anything about music. I, I don't even want to be influenced by anything I've ever heard. And they just sit down and play. That just doesn't happen. We're all influenced to some degree. You know, and our our ability to hear tone and not be tone deaf, basically, is really what makes a musician able to copy. That's why there's so many different versions of tablature out here. Somebody wants to learn how to play it, and it's like somebody hears it one way and somebody hears it another. And there's, you know, maybe there's the uh, fingering dozen isn't different quite right. ways to play an e, e note. Exactly, know, so. exactly. They all should technically sound the same with some degree of timber, I should right. say. You know, but. Uh, and, and there's proper ways of playing it so you don't, you know, so you can reach everything. <laughs> right. That's, that's clear too. Same thing with drums. I mean, we, as drummers, we, we copy somebody else, but you know, we don't have the same drums. We don't have what they recorded with. Even, even the drummer, when they go play live, typically doesn't have the same setup that they had in right. the studio. I mean, it's like, they love this snare for recording in the studio or, you know, whatever. So you can really split hairs with trying to copy music to its absolute form. I don't know. I'm just looking at your face. <laughs> I, that was, I was trying to figure out, what's he doing? Kind of creeping me out a little. Yeah, well, yeah, for you, those, look, you look different. Yeah, for those listening, I shaved my beard. Uh, it's it was, very off-putting. It was about, uh, well, I cut about five inches off altogether. And... Uh, now it's just basically stubble on my face which is I like it it's I don't know my face is you look a lot less pissed off that's (laughs) for sure (laughs) yeah I you know with the mask and everything you know I just got tired of eating my fur you know every time I turn around (laughs) all right this sounds like a good spot for us to segue into part two of this the Master copies in fine art. This this is kind of a this can go a lot of different ways, honestly. Because like with music, 
I tend to think it's, you know, you're, you're doing a process and you're not claiming it as your own. You know, you're not, you're not going out Can there. Can you do and, that? Do people do that? Do artists do that? Do artists uh, paint uh, Mona Lisa and their version and then sell that as their version? Can you do that? Is no, that certainly. It, you should not. <laughs> but, I mean, do, but, but people do. There's lots do, of forgeries out no, there. No, I'm not saying, you're not saying this is a forgery. You're saying, hey, I painted this as my version of the Mona Lisa and I painted it. I, I saw a picture of it and I, this is my version. Here it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, people do that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's still a master copy. There is a market for that? There is. In fact, Sotheby's sells art like that. Um, you're kind of getting ahead of where I want to be. But oh, well. No, you, no, no this, is, this is good because um, <laughs> it, it makes me kind of jump through hoops and try to Try to read real fast because I took down notes and now I can't remember where. Yeah, because I, I don't. I didn't really know that was a thing. Yeah, it it is. It's obviously the the value is not as high as the the original. You know the the main master work, right? right? Um, I can't find his name. I want to say his last name is Bone, B O N E. Yeah, Henry Bone, seventeen fifty five to eighteen thirty four. He specialized in copying old masters. Uh. Hmm. You know, his, uh, some of his works actually got, uh, in recent years, uh, got as high as 40,000 pounds for a, a copy. So in, in, in American dollars, it's probably what, 52,000. I don't know. I don't have I don't, the calculator in front of me, but, um, you know, so yeah, it, it does there. He's, that's what his job is. That's what he does. He just makes a copy and there's, there's people who may want a copy Maybe they have the original, and they don't want something to happen to it, so they store it away. But they want people to know they have it, so they get a copy made. I don't know. I don't know. There's don't... there's lots of reasons for that. the The main reason that I wanted to bring it up was, you know, there's there's several different. I don't know what the right term is, but to copy, uh, you you've got obviously counterfeits and fakes, but you have if school, a lot of schools teach, you know, from one, like, do this, right? So here's here's the painting I want you to copy. Let's see how you can do with this. So they do that. And um, workshops, a lot of times you'll, you'll do the same painting that the instructor does. That way they can kind of help guide you through it based on composition, color, value, you know, all those things. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of reasons to do that on the academic level because it trains you. It's just like when you picked up a guitar for the first time and you're looking at, all right, I want to make this sound like this. Start out playing playing yeah. uh, Smoke on the Water and that gets you, exactly. let you know what those four notes sound like. Exactly. So you, you start learning, you know, the color harmonies. You start learning the palette that that particular artist used. Um, you start learning how to draw and form the way that hmm. that artist did. So, I mean, it's it's a it's a learning process. It really is. It's a good learning process. It's a teaching tool, yeah. But that it, I mean, I'm just stunned that there's people that do that, and there's a market for it. I guess I just never considered that to be a like somebody can commission somebody to paint the scream, and then they'll have it and they'll put it up there, and there's the yeah. scream. But yeah, it's still you a, know, still Reggie a, Jackson or or Joe Johnson or whoever did it. Right. It's still it's a. It's ambiguous to say it's an original, I think, because it, I mean, even though it's original work from the copyist, right? it's not 
technically original work. Right. You know, it's still a copy of somebody else's original mm. work. So that's interesting. Yeah, I, I find it um therapeutic, really, to to look at the idea that if I wanna I wanna copy sergeant and I want to do a painting that looks like a sergeant, I wanna understand why he chose to only put this many brush strokes on the painting. You know, why why was he so deliberate at putting a brush stroke for light versus uh, obsessing over the way that particular light looked, you know, mm-hmm. I, and, and that's how you learn. You basically just start throwing paint on the canvas and saying, okay, can I match that color? I, I, I don't know. You're right though. When you sell it, it's kind of, you know, whatever. Now maybe going back to the 1800s and before there was probably a bigger market because we didn't have the advent of reprints and, and things like Photo that. Copies and yeah, exactly. Um, reproductions of any kind really so there are a few and I'm, I'm trying trying to read through here because i'm not really well versed at a lot of the I, I didn't as i was reading some articles i didn't realize there was actually so much out there that um were done but basically you know it's easy to say well yeah the the originals of the masters that are well known are probably the the one or the copies, I should say, of the, the masters that are well-known are the ones we know the most of. But, you know, this goes all the way back to uh, Romans copying the Greek statues. I mean, it goes back that far, probably before that. Somebody was always copying something that they saw. And to, to kind of tie this back into uh, interpretation, you know, look back at the paintings that were really flat and cartoon-looking. They just, they looked not realistic. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to like the 1500s and before. You know, a lot of egg tempera was used because oil painting wasn't quite there yet. Um, Geez, I wish I could think of some of them off the top of my head, but I can't. Uh, This is where the art history major would be good. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, so yeah, I, I don't condone always going to school for things, but I think some things will be good for learning. So anyway, that's another topic. Um, it's almost like the high jump in Olympic sports. You know, one one guy did it, and everybody's like, I, I can't do that. I can't go that high. Well, that guy did, so somebody can do it. So the next guy goes a little higher breaks the record. You know, so everybody's seeing these paintings. They're going, well, that's how it's, that's how it's done. We can't improve on that. That's, mm-hmm. that's how we interpret the human form or that's how we interpret the landscape. And as you move on, more and more of this becomes part of the process where it's, let's skip a little further ahead. What? How can we push it and do more? Next thing you know, somebody's adding more shadow and shape and trying to make it look three-dimensional. You know, I'm not talking about abstract art at all here mm-hmm. or even impressionism. I, I, I want to bring in realism here in terms of where it went from, you know, the dark, the dark ages to the middle ages to the Renaissance period. And it's kind of, it's almost like they all grew together and realized, oh, I can make my painting look like this. How was that done? 
how do you interpret that? You know, and how do you, how does an artist interpret that? Huh. And, and they share knowledge through schools and that's where the master copies really come in. And, you know, this, this could be a very boring topic too in art. I know it, it can be, but you know, what are your thoughts on that? I guess I, I should ask you what, what do you think of an artist copying something else? Do you think it's at all useful? I don't I, I don't see the, for me personally, I don't see the point in having, uh, I wouldn't have you paint me a copy of the Mona Lisa to put in my house. Now, maybe if I said I want a copy of the Mona Lisa, but I want her green or I want, uh, you know, her to look a little, look like a lizard or something off the wall or the scene different. Now I can see that. That's kind of cool. Uh, doing your own spin on it, much like what we were talking with the, about the cover tunes, but I see no, no point in as a, as a person that appreciates art and looking at, at somebody else's version of one of these famous paintings, other than to say that, Hey, look, they were able to do that from a purely academic standpoint. Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's interesting, but it does nothing for me as a, as a, as a lover of, beautiful things. Yeah. yeah. I I think I don't want to I don't want your version of the screen of the scream hanging up in in my uh in my living room. I just don't, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. cuz I mean in this day and age you can probably find it and purchase it as a print and it would be a print right. and much much more affordable than it would cost. I would rather have him do it. him redo it and do it yeah. and then have it. Now that's something a little bit different, but Yeah. And that, that for me is the biggest thing. I mean, let me go back here for a second. Like, uh, John Singer Sargent, uh, studied a lot of, uh, Velasquez, uh, Velasquez. I, I said that really terrible. Uh, Lancier, we've talked about him before on the mm-hmm. show. Um, he's, uh, he's, he, he's done some copies of, uh, Rubens, uh, Van Dyke did, uh, Tintor, uh, oh. shit, can't say his name, Tintoretto. Dick, Dick Van Dyke, he's funny, funny motherfucker. <laughs> Not him. Oh. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'm dropping names here too for that, but um, you kind of get into the whole provenance thing with collectors. It's like, was it a, you know, if it's a master copy in the studio of the master, for example, let's say Rembrandt had five studio hands and he wanted them to paint something he was doing, you know, they're, they're kind of like preparation studies at that point because it's probably, that's, probably that's getting done before. That's an interesting point. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool to have. Yeah. Um, those, those copies wouldn't be bad. Uh, and we talked about the, oh, the one from George Soro uh, that's in Chicago and New York City. Um, the afternoon... The Island of the Grand Lejeu. I don't know. Remember that one? We were talking about pointillism. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm with you now. Uh, we talked, I can't remember what episode it was, but uh, yeah, there's there's versions of that, but he painted both of those. Ah, uh, okay. So, I mean, they, as far as copies go, they could be prep studies or studies in general, um, maybe different versions for different collectors. Um, I've often been asked, you know, oh crap, that one sold. You know, I really wanted to buy that one. Can you paint another one? Integrity gets in there a little bit for me because I kind of, I don't want to devalue the one that somebody else bought. So, yeah. 
I typically try to steer away from that uh, and even go into more of a, look, if you like the subject, let me do something specific for you of that subject, but not like the one I've already done, right. you know? So I don't know. I mean, I could really go to, go to town, I guess, with this, this whole uh, master copy thing. But I, I really do believe as a learning tool for artists, it's a good, good process. Um, they should probably remain in, in your studio, you know, and that's pr- mm-hmm. that maybe also how these get out into the public. Once the artist dies, they get sold and mm-hmm. people realize, Hey, there's a copy. Um, I don't know. So much, so much to discuss on that. I mean, it's when you do a song, do you, do you think about your interpretation? Uh, or are you just, are you really, I mean, you do mainly original music. Right, a few covers here and there, but like yeah. I do, I approach it. I try to play as close to the original as possible, and then if there's a spot where I can do something different and it feels right, then I will. And if I don't, then I won't. So yeah. it's automatically going to sound different just with my vocalist, how he sounds, or if I'm singing it, how I sound. So that's, and I'm a little bit lazier um, with my my delivery so mm-hmm. that's going to sound a little bit different bass wise i mean i usually either try to do as much much like the original as possible or i try to i'll try to use uh lower notes like i'll play a lot of stuff on the five string mm-hmm. um where maybe they didn't just to try to fill up the air or, or like you know we do acdc's live wire i do a freaking bass solo a bass lead in that and i mean there's no bass lead in any acdc songs right. but it just kind of fit and it was cool so it wasn't a calculated yeah. thing. Like, I'm going to try to, I'm going to do something wild here. I just, yeah. it just happened. So is that in your three piece band? Yep. So yeah, it, it fits in that because it just makes sense. Yeah. There's not a lot else going on and it just, yeah. it just happened. It was cool. So, but that is cool. I don't, when we do a cover song, I normally don't sit down and try to say, Hey, uh, you know, how different can we make this or how's it going to sound? I try to just kind of see what it sounds like with us playing at first and then. Yeah. It's just going to say your right hand just falls different than somebody else's. It's, yeah. it's like a yeah. fingerprint. It really is. So it's going to sound different no matter what, a yeah. little bit. Yeah. And colors with a painting is the same way. It's You're just, you're not going to mix the same color. Right. And age has a lot to do with it. Not the age of the artist, but the age of the works. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if you were going to go back and try to do a Beatles tune, it's probably not going to sound like they're recording. And it probably most likely won't sound anything like them doing it live. Right. Because the gear's different. The the way we approach things are different. The the recording process was different. The, exactly. The things we recorded exactly. with and onto is different. It's Yeah. There, there's just so many so many things. But in, in a painting, you know, with age, uh, you get, you know, dirt and buildup of the environment on the painting itself. Um, that kind of that has an effect. I, I personally like older paintings because they look aged and worn out. I, I prefer the cracks. And the, <laughs> you know, the, I just like that. So what do you think about uh, aging aging a painting? Prima, what, you know, doing it yourself. That's you a, it's a good segue into forgeries because a lot of the forgeries, that's how they do it. They, they find, uh, they'll buy a painting from a lesser known artist, right? from a, around the same time period 
so that they can get the canvas. Hmm. Or maybe the stretcher. This is we have better technology today for being able to look at things. You can you can X-ray them. You can do all kinds of tests on them to see if there's a painting underneath of it. <laughs> I mean, without ever damaging the art. So we've come a long way being able to discover a forgery. But you know, just fifty years ago or hundred years ago, it would have been easy for somebody to buy the same canvas of the time period, so that the dating any kind of research on it by touching it and looking at it and trying to decide is this you know somebody some expert's advice of saying yeah it's the original hmm. they would just paint over it and then you know you can you can dirty it up you can muddy it up you can learn how to just make it look aged it's like antiquing hmm. you know you take take a painting and you put a glaze on it that looks like it's dirt but have you ever considered doing that with any of your work just because you like that look and, I, yeah. that and make that as part of your art? Yeah, I do it just about all of them. Even even this this uh, Maker's Mark, I, after it was done, I went over it with a very thin, not thin, uh, it was still a fat layer because it was the top layer, but uh, I used a glaze of just black and raw umber. So ivory black and raw umber made a mixture that looked to me like old dirt. And when I put it in my liquid and had plenty of fat in it, I knew I could cover up. So I basically put it on there and then I wiped it off with a rag. So what it does is it goes in and fills all the little cracks and crevices from the brush strokes. Makes it look a little bit older. Huh. So this one's not, uh, I'm actually pointing to it right now so people can't see. Yeah, but I'm, I'm we're not on TV, it. but. I know, but um, when it's not varnished yet. So when I varnish it, that'll be inside the painting, not actually on the varnish. So to kind of give it a a little bit better patina, I think, hmm. overall. I can't wait to varnish it because they always look so good when they're varnished. Really? Yeah. Is that like, a typical thing? I didn't know you varnished a painting. Yeah, it's like putting glass on a on a picture. It protects it. It just seems like that'd be dangerous. Tear it up. It can. Because, I mean, it's it, it's still a process. You, you wait you wait a few months and, and you cover it with with this you know you're probably okay if you if you follow good practices you're not going to really tear it up it's designed so that 400 years from now or whatever they can go back and use like a varnish remover and they can work their way down carefully until they hit the paint layer right so the varnish is gone and then they they clean it and they put new varnish on Really? Yeah. Hmm. That's what uh, restorers do all the time. We should do a, a, a show on res restoration. Yeah. Just, it, it is. A, it's really amazing. That's fascinating. I didn't even know that happened. Yeah, so. they even retouch a little bit, like when there's, you know, some bad spots. Like when that woman fixed that painting of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see? Yes. Oh, oh, you clearly saw it. Oh, well. Yeah. Looks like a lion-man hybrid. Yeah. <laughs> so... So yeah, I figure you're done with that drink. You're not going to drink anymore. No, I had all I had. You have all you're going to drink. I'm having See a white Russian later. <laughs> the drink. Yeah. Yeah. What about movies? You thought about movie remakes? Not when we were talking about this, but I mean that's that's an interesting point. Yeah. TV TV shows. One one of the TV shows that I was remade into a movie. I like real well. Uh, the Eighteen. It was a it was a good movie. I liked it. It wasn't bad. Yeah. I think that's different. Making a 
a TV show into a movie. Like, let's say they did that with Miami Vice. They did that with the A-Team. What's yeah. some other 80s ones that they did recently? Uh, um, Chips. Chips. Chips was a good one. Yeah. Um, got your boy Dax in there. Yeah. I, I don't think that's in the same category necessarily of, as a, of like, you know, redoing, um, well, like, how many reboots we have of Halloween now? Not, yeah. not called the sequels, just the reboots. Yeah. Or, well, or even, uh, yeah, yeah, since you're mentioning that, how many times are we going to have to see the origin story of one of our superheroes, like the Hulk? Right. You know, it's like, for crying out loud, okay, you didn't like that actor. I get it. Let's do another actor. Ugh. Well, did it with Spider-Man, too. We're on oh, yeah. Spider-Man, and yeah. they always got to start from the beginning. Yeah. Um, but those are decent quality. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, let's see, they remade uh, uh, Friday the 13th how many times? So Yeah, I, I lost count. And... Uh, they did uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. yeah. And I like, you know, like I like some of the, the uh, sequels, but I just don't get to, I just don't see, if it's a good movie, I don't see why you got to totally remake it. But yeah. uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, another good example. Yeah. I like Jackie Earl, uh, Early Haley, uh, Earl Haley. Um, and he did a fine job as Freddy Krueger, but I don't know, why, why didn't they just create some new vehicle? Some new horror yeah. thing is kind of how yeah. I am. So in, I guess in screen, we'll say it this way, um, master copies or remakes just, they don't hold the same pizzazz for you? N not for me. I'm trying to think, is there has there been a reboot that I was really excited about that was really super kick-ass? I mean, I guess... Batman, Batman to the Christopher Nolan Batman. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, but it's not, they didn't remake the original, but Tim Burton Batman. So yeah. they stand yeah. on their own. That's a little different. Um, that's something I got to interject here because this is something that just popped in my head and it really makes more sense. When you think of a movie, a movie is nothing more than a screenplay that's been adapted for a movie, right? Right. So it could be a book. It's been adapted to a screenplay and so on and so forth. So things like Bram Stoker's Dracula, to me, that was actually a really good movie for its time. Even it was the a Francis Ford Coppola yeah. movie. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. one um, of my favorites. Yeah, it's kind of a all creepy. the practical effects were. Uh, I yeah. mentioned it on the show before. Yeah, practical effects were done in such a way that they could have been done in the time period that the movie was set. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That is so. cool, and it it came you know really the the original story was a book. Yeah, you know and and. Well, Frankenstein's another one. I, I don't really consider those. You don't think it's a master copy? Because I, I do. I see the the director, the director of photography, and all those guys yeah. taking the art and saying, okay, this is what we're seeing in the book, in our minds. I'm cool with that. Yeah, you I'm know? with you on that. I, I don't think it falls in the same category as um, like when, when they remade Psycho shot for shot with Anne Hayes and, and oh, Vince yeah. Vaughn. Yeah. I mean... It was cool and everything, but what's the point? You yeah, already had yeah. to. And, and that was one of those, that's like doing, it was interesting study and doing a, a cover tune note yeah. for note yeah. because that doesn't happen very often. But I mean, we already seen it. What's the, what, what, what did that, what did that do to push the, the medium? What did that do to push the art? And nothing really. Yeah. The high jump stayed where it was going back to that analogy yeah. it is you're not getting any higher. But I, I do think if you're into video, 
even photography, if you're into that sort of thing, emulate who you like and see if you can copy their look. See if you can accomplish their lighting style. You know, that, right. that's, that's a that's a pretty good thing. And we never, we didn't really, we're going to have to wrap this up soon, but we didn't really touch base too much with photography in terms of being in the real place. That one to me is a big deal. We can look online all we want, look at pictures, uh, even even Google Maps and drop our little dude there on a the road and say, oh, look, this is what Paris looks like. But until you've been there, you know, and, and absorbed every element of that space. So you're talking about taking a, a, a photograph or doing some art in that spot rather than off of a photograph or yep. something like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Because that brings up an interesting point that I really have to get on here. I work from photographs a lot because it's convenient and often the best way for me to work. Um, however, I do believe being on location and working on it like if you're a landscape painter, go out and do some plein air studies at the very minimum, you know, because you're doing a master copy of a photo if you're strictly working off a photo. Mm -hmm. So which is, which is the original, you know, even looking at this maker's mark painting, that was a photo originally. I took a photo of the bourbon and the camera and all that jazz in the, in the painting and, and I essentially tried to mimic what I saw in the photo. And then I, I tweaked it a little bit to give it more of a painterly feel. But which is the original setup? I mean, the, the composition was made when I did the photography work. This is my biggest hang-up with working from others' photographs. Hmm. You know, I don't like using somebody else's photographs. So, but you feel like if you if you took the time and you took the shot and you're working from your own shot, then that's different. Yeah, yeah. Because I composed it, I I did the, I did the part of saying this is that and this is that. You know, I I don't know that we've really answered much in this podcast, and that's that's kind of what I want to get at. Master copies used as a tool for the artist can accelerate your career in ways that you couldn't have done on your own because you're gathering. You're literally gathering all the knowledge from the greatest people who have ever done art, and you're you're learning from them. They become your mentors, your teachers. Right. Whereas if you were just to start out, like I said, with that kid with a book, trying to learn scales, trying to learn how to read notes, mm -hmm. who never listens to a song and tries to copy it, it's probably going to, they might be a technically good musician in the long run but their learning curve is so much longer <laughs> than somebody who just picks up and plays. And they may never, they may never get to a point where they really enjoy it because they burn out right. before, you know, so I don't, I don't know. There's God, there's so much we could talk about in this. My brain's finally opening up. One of the things I want to touch on it's before you booze, hang up on man, me is the, the uh, <laughs> is with photographs. If we're as, uh, we as artists, I think, we are interpreters of what's going on around us, and it's our, our how we see things. But I think with photos, it, it's weird. I mean, you photographed people before, and or you've seen people that they just don't look like they photograph unbelievable somehow. Somehow, right, right. but they don't look that way in person. Or there's people that are just gorgeous yep. in person, but they just don't photograph well. And there's landscapes and stuff like that too. And what I'm wondering is, is, is there honesty in that? when 
when you take a photo of something and you set it up, you got your shot, you got your lighting just right, you got got whatever it is, but it just doesn't look like that in person. Is, right. is are we lying? Uh, I, if we're interpreters of our environment, how? If we're reflections of our our environment, it's more of an interpretation rather than a reflection. I guess is what I'm yeah. getting at. For photography in your eyes, though, that that has a lot to do with the technology. Okay, so your your eyes are a particular focal length, right? Number one, number two, your dynamic range in your eyes is just so much better than a camera can produce or reproduce. I mean, it just nuts. I mean, we're sitting here in the studio now, and you you know my window's covered up with uh, diffusion paper so that I, when I do video, the sun's not so damn bright. Whereas if I took that down, you and I could see just fine. But the camera sees it as a blown-out highlight. Right. right? So that, that's your dynamic range. But focal length, one of the reasons why a lot of these models look good, they're being photographed at like 85 millimeters, whereas your eyes are closer to, we'll say, 45 to 50 millimeters. So you get a little bit broader field of view, right? Which, when you close it down on an 85 millimeter you're compressing that field of view and makes the face a little different. Hmm. So, I mean, you could really do an experiment with this. I've seen it done on YouTube where they'll go from like uh, 16 millimeters on the face. The, the camera doesn't move. It stays on a tripod and the face doesn't move. They, they stand in one spot and they just keep changing the lens. And you see real quick really? how much, like one lens will thin you up, one lens will fatten you up. Even the location of the lighting you know, so there's a there's a big technical aspect of why people photograph well. A lot of that is what gear was used. I, I don't want to confuse this either. I don't want people to say, well, gear matters. No, it, it doesn't really. Just you got to know how to use it. You got to know what gear matters. Otherwise, you're just throwing shit at the wall and hoping it sticks. But if it's not interpreting it correctly, then isn't, isn't that a lie? That's not what it looks like? No. Not in not in my mind, not in photography, because you're trying to get a particular look, and that's where the artistry of photography comes in. In my, that's my experience. You know, anybody can snap a picture. If I give you a camera with a 50 millimeter lens, you're going to take the same pictures I take, but it's the composition and the exposure that's going to change. You know, I'll be fully exposed. <laughs> Right. Um, but th this is kind of where I go with, like, if you want to be a photographer, try to emulate what somebody else is using. Find out what gear they're using. This is why the question always comes up in photography. What gear are you using? What camera are you using? <laughs> you know, people want to know because they want to emulate what you're doing. Right. But it seems like photography, just from the different ones I've been around, I've been around more photographers than, than fine art painters or, right. or what have you. But, um, they're a lot like like bass players and guitar players in general. They're it's they're gearheads, and it's really important. And it's a really they love gear. They love talking about gear. Um, every photographer I've ever met, it's always they like that gear. Just like you know, bass players are in the exotic woods, and yep. and um, they're into that. And guitar players are in the pedals and and vintage Les Pauls, and and they like talking. And it just kind of becomes. It kind of becomes a thread, but I've definitely noticed that. I mean, I haven't been around as many artists, but but 
few I have been, I, I don't remember them talking about uh, uh, the brush that they they use yeah. quite as quite as much. I mean, I have heard some of that talk yeah. and, and talking best, about this that's canvas. The best damn evil easel I've ever right. Had. They just don't get exci- <laughs> they don't get excited by about that. Artists just don't seem to get excited about it. at least yeah. in, in, in the ones yeah, that yeah. have been in my orbit just done. But uh, photographers, man, they we, just we do they we geek have, out. We have a secret society where we all get together. And uh, we just, we, we lust over gear. It's like brushes, you know, hog bristle or sable. I, I, don't, I don't believe it. I'm going to search the message boards tonight. I don't think it's there. Uh, there, there are some things in the art world. I will say artists, they, they kind of get excited about, you know, like uh, if you're a, a, someone who likes to draw with charcoal and, and you do it a lot, you probably love Neutrum charcoal over everything else. It, it's the same. I mean, it is the same. It's just not as common to hear. Um, when I bought that easel behind you, um, I was I was thrilled to death to finally get that easel. I've had a lot of different easels, and they were all this more or less. The one. Yeah, they were they were more or less uh, compromises. And when I finally got that one, I was like, yeah, this is this is the one I've wanted for a long time. So it really wasn't that much money. Well, we've talked about how you know. This whole gear matters, gears don't matter. Gear, certain gear and certain um, technical things can help s- spring forth your creativity, I yeah. believe. You know, get, yeah. a, a guitar, I'm, I'm under the the school that uh, every bass and every yeah. guitar has got its own song in it somewhere and it's up to you to try to find it out yeah. and, and, and bring it out of it. Um, and I guess it's like that too, but I'm telling you, photographers are, photographers are the worst, man. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, because a lot of them still think that the gear is is the reason people look, people are able to do what they do. But you get excited about gear though too. Oh, and, I do. And, it's but, just fun. and you know that it's uh, there's more to it. But there's like yeah. a, a, a good piece of gear is fun, man. It's, yeah, it, it solves a problem, and you get excited about it. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with getting excited the, about your tools. For me, for me, the gear. Since we're getting into this for a second, obviously it has to solve a problem, but. For me, I want the gear to get the fuck out of the way. Right. You know, I just, I, I want it to work when I want it to work, and I want it to do what I want it to do. If it can do all that, then I can concentrate on being an artist. And that, in a nutshell, to me, is what everybody should be striving for. So if you know why you're using an 85-millimeter lens versus a 24-millimeter lens, then you're ready to talk about gear. <laughs> if you don't know why, go rent some gear. Go borrow it. Figure it out. Find out what the difference is. Why, why do you need a F2.8 when, when an F5.6 works? You know, do you need fast glass? I'm going to say yes, but that's me. I do a lot of low light stuff. Right. I like, I like the look of a, of a wide open aperture. You know, oh, we I can, do too. we can, <laughs> we can really get into a lot of details on that, but it's, it's interpretation. Hmm. It really is. It's like some people hate bouquet. They just hate it. You know, they, they, they think it's overdone. It's like the, the background's too creamy. It looks blown out. Your eyes would never see it that way. I get that. But it's an artistic expression that the artist interpreted as being the best. That's fair. That's probably the best way to say it. All right. Are we done? Yeah. All right. Let's, let's do it. All right. So we've reached this segment of the show where we I didn't, ask, We didn't get in a fight either. Yet, we didn't. So. We didn't. We ask. Uh, you probably will need to get oh, these let's questions. Let's do this. I ask rapid fire questions to give you all time to finish that drink. Paul, I got four questions for you today. Give it to me. All right. Number one, if you could travel in time, 
what time would you travel to? Uh, <laughs> right now I'm on a, I'm on a ancient Japan, 1500 Japan kick really? right now. Yeah. I really I like, like that. samurais and, uh, Asian culture. I think yeah, it's pretty cool. It is cool. All right. Name a dead musician you would like to bring back to life. Besides Cliff Burton? Yeah, besides Cliff. <laughs> I mean, Cliff, man, I would love to see what, what, what he'd be doing right now. Yeah, yeah that's... You can pick Cliff. I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to steer you some other way. No, but <laughs> Cliff Burton, definitely. Um, and then for good measure of Prince, because I never got to see him live and I would yeah. love to. Uh, yeah, that so. would have been awesome. Two great bass players, by the yes. way. Yes. All right, where is your dream location? The place you must see one day before you die. Right. Not, not, not a picture, not a camera, not a photograph. <laughs> the place. Like Iceland, you have to be there. Iceland is on the, is on the short list. Um, but if, if I have to pick one single location, Venice. I've always won. That's been a thing since I was a kid. I want to see really? Venice. Mm -hmm. John Singer Sargent, speaking of which, painted a lot of Venice uh, scenery. In watercolor, and he was well known for being uh, a portrait painter in oils. So uh, you should look into that. I think you'd like him. I think you'd like him a lot. All right, if you could live on a TV show in real life, what show would it be? Wow, not a remake, but a real show. Like you know, just really like I'm. I'm thinking, you know, Married with Children would be a, a fucking blast. Game of Thrones. Ooh, really? Yeah, yeah, that'd be badass. Dragons and who would you be? A dead. I'd be <laughs> a dead. White Walker. I'd be no. I'd be dead guy number one. <laughs> is what I'd be because every anybody on that show could kick my ass. But. Actually, I could see you as a White Walker. You kind of look like the one. If anybody hasn't seen the show yet, I got you're behind that before actually. But uh, when you I know, had when, my hair, when you had your white hair really long, uh, you kind of had that White Walker look about you. Yeah, somebody it had come up in my memories here. Uh, more somebody posted that it's like hey I seen you on TV last night <laughs> but I guess awesome. I guess I'd like to be a Stark so a Stark yeah yeah uh, I think I'm going Lannister they're, have they're the awful. money they're yeah, awful have people. the money because I mean you know it's fake I wouldn't really be there but I would be there that would be fun I wouldn't want to be from the you know the, even though I like water and ships I wouldn't want to be. Oh yeah, the, the, the Ironborn. The Ironborn, yeah, that would be awful. It'd I be kind of cool being the uh, just brutal being the Dothraki, but I'm not cut out for that, so I'm weak. Yeah, be like a Mongol horde, about the I, same I, thing. I can pull off a fat Jason Momoa. <laughs> all right, moving a white, on. White fat one. My, moving uh, on. All right, all right, all right. So, and that is the end of the show. Share this episode with your friends. Subscribe if you are not already. And I'd love for you to leave us a review. I'm thankful you shared your time with us, and I hope you become a regular. Paul, thanks for being on the show. It's good to have you back. I missed you last week. I missed you. All right. You can find links for me and Paul in the show notes or by visiting allwalksofart.simplecast.com. Until next time, may your drinks be tasty and your muse be thirsty. We'll see you, Paul. Later. <laughs>